Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. How delighted I am to see you returned yet again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker. And today, a curious item, if you'll follow me over to this section of the shop. We've been here uh, quite recently. This is the section of the shop with many religious artifacts, totems of worship, and items of spiritual significance. And if you look over here on this shelf, these items are engraved with symbolism of the basic elements that many cultures revere as the building blocks of the natural world. Over here, you'll find engravings of earth, these of fire, those right there of air, and over here of water. And it is these basic elements that comprise the foundation of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the new Netflix series, Avatar, The Last Airbender. So Avatar The Last Airbender is a series on Netflix. It was just released here this past Thursday, February the 22nd. And it's a series that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Avatar The Last Airbender is an adaptation of the animated series that originally aired on Nickelodeon, created by Michael Demartino and Brian Konietzko. I'm probably butchering that name, but, uh, but they had this animated series. It's released back in 2005, I believe the first season came out. It was comprised of three seasons or three books. I like how they looked at it as three books of a, or three volumes of a bigger story, very much like Lord of the Rings. And and this isn't the only uh, Lord of the Rings analogy I'm probably going to make during this episode uh, talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. We'll get into another Lord of the Rings tie, but, but it is essentially three books that make up a bigger story, much like... The Lord of the Rings. And this is a beloved animated series. The fans of this series, and Phantom can be a double-edged sword, because I think it's great to be fans of things, but when you're such a fan that nothing but the original will do, and you're going to do nothing but shit on anything that's not the original, you see that in so many things, like Lord of the Rings, like Star Wars, like Transformers, you know, you get that sort of like uber fandom that it, it leans into. And I, I hate saying the, the things that all the kids are seeing these days, but the whole gatekeeper thing, it, it's shit like that, that makes that a thing, makes people look down on you. If you say you're a really big fan of somebody or, or something, they're expecting you to be one of those gatekeeper types. And just judging by some of the reactions I've seen for Avatar The Last Airbender, you're getting a lot of that with some of the reviews out there. I'm going to be right up front with you. I really enjoyed this, this series. I thought it was a fairly faithful adaptation to the original animated series, or at least season one of the original animated season. It wasn't a shot-for-shot -shot remake. 
it was never going to be that. And we'll get into all the nuts and bolts of that once we get into the spoiler section. But it was never going to be the exact same thing. And and the people that are bitching that it's not the exact same as the original animated series would probably be the same ones bitching if it were exactly like the animated series. Oh, you couldn't do anything different. Oh, this is trash. This, this is a turd. This is a dumpster fire. And all the things that I've heard that this series is just one season in when it actually wasn't that bad. Anybody that is rage baiting and acting like a little twat because this series wasn't exactly what they wanted it to be. And and I don't know. Sometimes I've listened to some people talking about this. I've read some reviews about this. I've watched some reviews and listened to reviews about this. And the people that are just uber pissed off about this, I, I never really get a good reason why they hate this so much, other than the fact that it wasn't the original animated series. And I think the problem you have with this is that it's not the original animated series. They hold that original animated series in such reverence that nothing will ever be as good as that. So anything that's not the original animated series from back in 2005 is going to be nothing but a turd or a dumpster fire or a piece of trash. And that's an ignorant way to look at things. And I don't want to make this a generational thing, but I think you have a lot of younger millennials and older Gen Zs that were kids when this came out in 2005, or young enough when this came out in 2005. They're looking at the past of watching this series through rose-colored glasses that if you if you look back at it with like some really real critiques of it, it was an animated series for kids, and it was written as an animated series for kids. Now, granted, it delved into deeper things than normal kids animation did at the time instead of just kind of being an adventure of the week it was an ongoing story even though it did have a lot of side quests and a lot of what could be considered standalone episodes little side missions and stuff like that but for the most part it had an overarching arc that spanned the three seasons which you didn't get a ton of in kids animation especially for Nickelodeon back in 2005 but I think a lot of people that watch this as kids romanticize this and you know I do that you know I romanticize watching Star Wars as a kid and when you look back at it now you see some of the some of the gaps and some of the plot holes and some of the things that don't quite add up but you have that love of it and nothing is ever going to beat the original I think you have a lot of that with some of the kids that grew up watching this uh, I watched this in 2005 I was 30 31 years old when this came out and I ended up watching it because my nephews at the time, my oldest nephew would have probably been around 11, 12 years old when this came out. His younger brother would have been 9 or 10. And I would go over to my sister's house and they'd be watching this and I'd sit down and watch it with them. That's one of the things my nephews and I shared when they were growing up is a love of fantasy. And I remember taking them to see all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and not the first Lord of the Rings, but Two Towers and Return of the King. We had a love 
love of fantasy. So I sat down and watched this with them, and and I really kind of became hooked because it was an interesting story. As a 30-year-old man, I found the story quite engaging, and it was different than a lot of animated series of the time. But watching this with adult eyes for the first time made me realize that, yeah, this isn't something that you should be looking at as like one of the greatest pieces of anime uh, around us. This isn't Akira. This was a kid's show. And it was written as a kid's show. And it had a lot of kid's show humor in it. This wasn't high drama. This wasn't high literature. This wasn't high anything. It was a kid's show. Like I said, it delved into deeper subjects and deeper subject matter than most kid's shows. But at its heart, it was a kid's show. And I think that's one of the things I really loved about this adaptation of it is that it pulled a lot of that kid show whimsy and and silliness. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean silliness in a good way because it did have some of those goofy, quirky moments with Sokka. It had goofy, silly moments with the cabbage guy, which I was a little Easter egg that from the animated series that, that I love that they added. Aang had some little silly, goofy moments and his reaction and like his eyes all of a sudden lighten up and he gets a grin on his face and he you know spits out some sort of silly line or some little silly response to something that's straight from the freaking original series and if you didn't like that in this if you're looking for this to be gritty like game of thrones or something like that even though they do get a little darker in some areas you know firebenders uh doing things to people that i was like oh i don't remember that from the series but i could be misremembering that it was 19 years ago when i watched it but it had a nice mix of more adult themed things that i think adult fans of the show from back when it first came out are, are going to enjoy a, a little slightly darker edge to it a little slightly real edge to it but they're also going to enjoy some of the things they remembered from the original animated series if you didn't watch the original animated series you're not going to get it uh you're not going to get the humor in this that is pulled almost directly in some regards from the original animated series so i would say this before you go watching this if you don't know anything about avatar find the original animated series. At least watch the first few episodes of the original animated series just so you can get the style of dialogue. And that's one of the other things I heard a, a big complaint about is the dialogue. Th there's some of this dialogue that is pulled directly from the animated series. The quirky, goofy characters, the silly characters are pulled directly from the animated series. And, and I get it, people that aren't familiar with that original animated series might find that stupid or too silly and too kiddish for something that's supposed to be adult and gritty and this is supposed to be like Game of Thrones. Well, it's not. It's not Game of Thrones. It was never trying to be Game of Thrones. Like I said, I think they're trying to go a little more adult in some regards, but still keep the whimsy and the fun of the animated series that this is all based off of. And if you don't understand the mix of those more adult themes and, like I said, the whimsy and the fun of it being a kid's show, then you're not going to get this adaptation of it. You're not going to understand 
what they're going for with this adaptation of it. And it will seem kind of childish to you at times. And it will seem kind of like a, a mix of tone that they're doing. You know, in some regards, you get the Fire Nation laying waste to things. And it's very dark and, and grisly at times. Uh, and, and it seems like, oh, this is, this is really intense and adult. And then you'll have Aang saying something goofy or, or Sokka, you know, just kind of with his little quick quips and always wanting to eat something. It's going to seem like a, a, a mishmash of tone. You know, that may very well be in a different movie or in a different TV series. But if you understand the original animated series and, and how that original animated series was, you may not understand the intent behind them doing things that way. Now, I don't want to get too much in the weeds. I have already talked about more things in the non-spoiler section than I originally planned, but I would say that you should check this out. If you haven't watched the original Avatar, the animated series, uh, I encourage you to, to do that. If you take the time to watch the animated series before watching this, I think you'll understand it and enjoy it so much more. Because a live-action Avatar has been in the works for quite some time. I actually remember when the uh, I, I heard there was a, a movie coming out, Avatar, and I thought, oh, that's cool. I'm going to check that out. It's going to be a live action version of this animated series I love. And, and then I started seeing the trailers for it. And I'm like, blue people, what the fuck is this? And then I realized it wasn't that avatar at all. But then, of course, in 2010, M. Night Shyamalan, who I, I love and respect as a filmmaker uh, and a screenplay writer, his avatar was just not, not that great. Uh, I'm just going to go right out and say that uh, I'm trying to be diplomatic. I remember taking my nephews to go see that and how pissed off they were at the end of that. And once it was all said and done and, and I tried to I tried to kind of blow it off. Well, you know, they're trying to cram a whole season's worth of material into two hours. They had to cut corners and mix things up and change things. But but there was nothing defensible about that movie. It just it wasn't good. They couldn't even pronounce Ang's name right. But then when I found out that they were going to do this live action and that the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender were involved with it, at least at the beginning. I believe a couple of the episodes that they wrote are still in this, but they had some creative differences. I don't know what those differences were, but they ended up backing out and now they've handed this over to other creators and, and hopefully they do a good job with this. I, I think they've already done a good job. I thought this original season, this first season of Avatar The Last Airbender was really good. It struck all the right chords with you know, all the benchmark things that happened in the animated series. They may have had to combine some storylines and they may have had to cut some subplots and combine some subplots. Uh, just to keep from, okay, we're going to go here and then we're going to go there. Instead of doing two things that happen in these two different locations, they combine it to where the two things, maybe they might be truncated versions of those things, but they happen in the same spot. You have to do that because the original series were 20, 21 episodes long. And those were 24-minute episodes, half-hour episodes. Whereas this, you have longer episodes right around an hour, but you only have eight episodes. So you have eight hours of content and you're trying to cram 10 hours of content into that. Some things have to be cut. But like I said, there's so much of this 
that even though they did combine some stories, uh, even though they did cut some minor subplots out and, and change things to some degrees, there was a lot they did take directly from the animated series. And even though they made some big changes, uh, I think justifiably made big changes, uh, they kept enough of the story intact and they had enough of the big things, like I said, pulled directly from the original animated series that it's still a, a wonderful adaptation. The acting is really good. I, I know some of the dialogue seems a little stilted at times, but these are young actors. They're going to grow into their craft. Uh, but I think, you know, these characters uh, or these, these actors got a little more comfortable with their characters as the season went on and some of the veteran actors were outstanding we'll talk about these actors and and their place in the story coming up in the spoiler section the dialogue did have a lot of exposition but you have to strike that balance of creating this series to please and appease those super fans that love the original animated series and have worshipped it much like a god for all these years. You have to make them happy, but you also have to keep in mind the people that are watching this for the very first time. There's going to be some kids out there that this is going to be the avatar that they know. This is going to be the first experience with Avatar The Last Airbender. And you have to strike that balance. And sometimes you have to remind people of what's going on, especially when you're entering a new world that you're not familiar with. You've got characters and lands that you're not familiar with. I know they. it's very simple. Earth Nation, Fire Nation, Water. It's not like watching Game of Thrones for the first time or watching Lord of the Rings for the first time. But you have a lot to take in. And sometimes you have to keep reminding the viewer of what's going on. It's not to say that they think you as a huge fan of Avatar The Last Airbender from the animated series back in 2005. They're not saying that you're too stupid and that you're you're not intelligent enough to know what's going on. They're thinking of the little kid that's watching this for the first time and doesn't fucking have a clue of what's going on. So you have to like check your ego at the door and, and, and check your fandom at the door and start thinking of other people as opposed to, to yourself because not everybody knows chapter and verse of this story like you do because you watched the three seasons of this 15 times over the past however many years. But ultimately, like I said, uh, it, it was a good story, uh, well acted. I thought the CG was really good. I was quite impressed. There's some people that call that trash. You know, you can't have... Uh, a huge budget for CG in every freaking episode or this this series is very CG heavy and you're not going to be able to maintain this series if you're spending the the budget on this for each episode that a lot of big movies would have to spend on a CG budget. You can't do that. And there are some CG moments that look a little more average than others, but for the most part, the CG is pretty good. There are some scenes where, yeah, it looks like they're acting against a screen, but for the most part, the locations and the sets that they built are, are all pretty good. The CG, I thought, was stunning in some uh, moments that uh, I was really impressed by how good the CG was when you think about how bad it could have been. When you watch some of the Marvel stuff like She-Hulk and, and you're going to bitch about Avatar The Last Airbender CG when 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 there's that to compare it to, I mean, that, that was actual bad CG. 
this is not that. But there again, like I said, I think there's some fans that want to shit on this series and want to bitch about this series and find fault with it because it is not the original animated series, pure and simple. But I, for one, as somebody who watched this animated series with adult eyes and had adult expectations, uh, you know, coming into a live action version of this, I really enjoyed it. There were enough benchmark moments from the original animated series and enough parallels to the original animated series. It's not completely one for one, but it had a lot of one for one moments that I really enjoyed. And I'm looking forward to the next season. And we'll get into some of the things I'm looking forward to in that. And we're going to get into some of the things I really liked about this season, some of the actors. Uh, but we're going to do that in the spoiler section. So if you haven't watched Avatar The Last Airbender, I encourage you to go watch the animated series. Not not the whole thing. I, I don't want anything spoiled for you. At least watch an episode or two of the original animated series before going into this. That way you're kind of familiar with the style of this story. And I think that'll help you. If you haven't watched Avatar The Last Airbender, go check it out on Netflix. It's a really good fantasy story and a lot of fun to watch. And it starts out a little slow, but it gains speed. And I think by the end of it, you're really emotionally invested. And that to me was uh, that's, that's a hallmark of a good adaptation. So go check it out. Come back, listen to my thoughts, see if they jibe with what you think. If you have watched it or you don't care one way or the other, we're going to head on in to some spoiler territory. So one of the things I really enjoyed about the season of Avatar The Last Airbender that we got from Netflix is the acting. I thought the actors and the casting were really good. Gordon Cormier as Aang really did a good job with this. You know, sometimes some of these young actors, the lines were a little wooden and a little stiff, but they are young actors. And for the most part, I think he did a really good job with the delivery. Sometimes the delivery in certain moments, it wasn't as believable as I wished it would have been. But I think as the series goes on, or I think as the even as the season goes on, I think a lot of these younger actors got com more comfortable with the characters and the performances got a lot better even within this season. And I expect to see that with these actors playing these characters throughout hopefully two more seasons. I, I imagine they're going to do book one, book two, and book three in the live action series like they did with the animated series. But Gordon Cormier, I, I thought he played a great Aang. Uh, I really love this character because this character embodies something I think not only some certain kids, but even adults, kind of that expectation versus reality where you have certain things that are expected of you every day. I mean, whether we're little kids or, or whether we're adults, you know, there are expectations of who you should be, who you're going to become, who you're supposed to be. And then there's the reality of who you are and finding who you are through the noise of all the expectations of, of who you're supposed to be or who people want you to be. And he embodies this. And, and I really loved that. They, they played a lot into him regretting actions of his past or inaction of his past and, and the consequences of that and 
using that to, to give him strength going forward, to not repeat the mistakes of the past. I, I really enjoyed that aspect of this character, whether it is in the animated series, the live action series. Uh, they did kind of lay it on a little thick with him talking about how he's failed people. He's failed everybody. But if memory serves me right, that was how the character was in the animated series. It was just as a little over overdone as the animated series but i but i get it you know this is a, a very flawed character a flawed hero that is learning to be the hero he needs to be not the hero everyone expects him to be and i found uh gordon cormier uh, his performance of this was fun uh he has that great uh, childlike innocence about him in the scenes that need that but then when things get serious and you know he gets into the avatar state and all that uh, I really enjoyed you know uh, and then I think I'm going to enjoy seeing him as an actor grow into this character as we hopefully like I said get the two next seasons out of this that that we're kind of expecting them to do or at least hoping that they'll do kyle wentio plays katara who is a, a character I, I like her uh i liked her in the animated series she's a character that really i felt was a little lost in the story in the first half of the season but once her character hits her stride you really get to see her as an actress really shine and and her story is an interesting story again some of the many themes that you're going to get throughout this series uh play out through these main three characters four characters if you count zuko but i like her character because you have so much of her trying to honor her past and honor her you know waterbender family and culture but i think it was really interesting and that's where i think the character Starts to come into her own when she starts to learn to waterbend, becomes more confident. But I really loved this character once they get to the northern tribe. And she's finding out that female waterbenders are relegated towards healing and they're not allowed to be in combat. And the showdown she has with that waterbending master was fantastic. It almost felt like an action kung fu sequence with special effects waterbending. It really was a badass scene. I loved it. And, and to see the strength of her character start to show through and, and when she's considered a master by the end of it, it just... It really, you know, it hit because this character embodies all those women who have been told you can't do this because you're a girl. And, you know, I can imagine if you've been in that situation, it's not something I can relate to. But I can imagine how hard that must be and how disheartening that must be to be told you can't do something or you'll never be something because you're just a girl and how horrible and wrong that is. And to see her rise above that as a character, I think is a, is a great, you know, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's going to call that woke. And just because something promotes a minority or a inclusion or promotes, you know, female empowerment, that doesn't make that woke. I won't get into wokeness and what constitutes that. That's uh, that's for another podcast, uh, but not my podcast. But I, but those things are important, I think, to see in cinema on the big screen, the small screen. And I really like this character, and it is one of those characters that 
puts out such a positive vibe and such a positive message that, uh, especially for young women who might be seeing this or young girls who are seeing this, to show that, you know, you should never let anyone, man or woman, whoever, tell you. And I think that kind of leads into Ang's story about expectation. People have expectations of who you are supposed to be. You don't have to be what people expect you to be. You blaze your own trail. I think we also see that with uh, Sokka's character, played by Ian Owsley. Uh, Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, but he's the older brother of Katara. And again, somebody that is expected to be a warrior, expected to be a protector, but never lived up to his father's expectations. And it shows in this especially that he's got, you know, he's got more brains than he's given credit for. He's also a ladies man. <laughs> That's one of the things I heard some criticisms about how they rushed through things and how they rushed into his romantic endeavors. And, uh, you know, I, I think they did enough to show a moment of connection and a moment of kind of love at first sightism, but anybody who's who criticizes this adaptation, this live action version, for rushing through storylines and doesn't hold that same mirror up to the original animated series, because if you watch that, it rushed through some things pretty quick as well. And tell me, Sokka didn't fall in love with some girl just because he saw a pretty face pass him by on the street. Uh, Tell me that didn't happen in the original animated series. You tell me that didn't happen, and I'll call bullshit on it. So, uh, But I I really thought Ian Owsley, I thought his portrayal of Sokka was spot on. He, He had the comedic timing of it, and I like to think that they pulled back, because he's a little over the top in the animated series, but they had enough, like they said, those benchmark moments. And judging by the animation of the Sokka character, uh, I really thought that Ian Owsley's physical, his facial shape of him, it really looked like a live-action version of the animated character. I just thought the casting of him as this character was brilliant from a looks standpoint and from an acting standpoint. I thought he did a really good job with this character. And he's a character that I'm I'm really excited to see grow like his character did in the animated series. You know, he's a character that doesn't waterbend. And to see somebody that doesn't have special magical powers and how their character develops and how they become a great warrior and a great leader. I'm excited to see that play out on the live action. Another character and actor that I really loved in this was Dallas Liu as Prince Zuko. Uh, This is such a complicated character that I really liked the character and the story and the redemption arc that this character had in the animated series and i love seeing that played out in this live action series i think dallas lou plays the character of zuko quite well because this character and and i've heard some critiques about him having a tantrum and well that that's not very menacing and he's just like a kid they were throwing a temper tantrum and well that's that's what the character is the character is a teenager and there again, he has a lot of those similar uh, story arcs that 
you have with Aang, that you have with Katara, that you have with Sokka about the expectation versus the reality. He is the son of Fire Lord Ozai, and he's expected to be heir to the throne, but he's a bit of a failure to his father and always out to prove himself. And, you know, he ad- tries to adopt his father's no mercy, uh, a very Cobra Kai. <laughs> of him and kind of like John Kreese and Johnny Lawrence uh, sort of scenario there. But you have this character that kind of tries to adopt his father's mentality to prove himself to his father when that's not him at all. He is a very compassionate and kind and caring person, thinking of others, sacrificing for others. When you get that backstory, in the wonderful episode masks that was probably one of my favorite episodes of this and i think that's probably where the show started to turn maybe in spirited away i know some people didn't care for spirited away but masks i think was the first episode that i'm like my god this is really good because you got that prince zuko backstory and i know some people are a little upset because In the animated series, they did an episode where it explored both Aang's backstory and Prince Zuko's backstory. And they did Aang's backstory in the very first episode. And and people were uh, upset about that. And, oh, it it takes away the mystery and uh, mystery schmystery. The show is called Avatar The Last Airbender. Aang is your titular character. If you're going to grab new audience members, you've got to establish this kid right off the bat. And I think that's something where you have a 20-episode animated series. You can let that linger. But when you're trying to grab people for a Netflix series that if it doesn't do well in the first shot, then people aren't going to watch. And the rest of the series is going to be scrapped. Uh, You have to grab people right off the bat. So I understand why they told Aang's backstory in the very first episode where they held back in the animated series. And, And they did that in that animated series where you had an episode where it gave Prince Zuko and Aang's backstories and kind of juxtaposed the two. And the two are very similar. It's kind of like two characters in different environments. Aang's environment he grew up in was a very nurturing environment where uh, Prince Zuko was in an environment that was very confrontational and you know there was a lot of expectation on both parts but you had very different father figures with very different expectations but expectations all the same that didn't match the person that the expectations are are centered upon, which is Aang and Prince Zuko. And I thought that was an interesting thing to do in the animated series. And it would have been nice if they could have done that with this. But I don't think you needed that. Because I think with Prince Zuko, I think you really need to have his own story flesh out this very complicated... I mean, he's an antagonist and he's a bad guy to begin with. But... Anybody that knows the series, he has a redemption arc. And I think to establish that redemption arc, Aang's always been the good guy. Aang's always going to be the good guy throughout this. And his backstory, it really delves into the expectations of him as the Avatar, but it doesn't change who he is. And it doesn't change that he is the hero of the story, where Zuko is a different animal altogether. And you have this guy that you've looked at through 
five episodes as the bad guy and now you're starting to see why he is the way he is and it's not necessarily the humanization of the villain uh, this is a legit redemption arc that this character goes on and you you have to see the seeds of where this character ends up you have to see that he had that in him all the time the only reason he was acting the way he was is because the influence of his father, the negative influence of his father. And I thought Masks, e even beyond the backstory of Zuko, with Aang being taken captive by the Fire Nation and the, the blue spirit coming in, and, and you know it's Zuko the whole time. Uh, I, I thought some people had, there again, some unrealistic expectations because they're like, oh, you know, I knew it was Zuko the whole time and it didn't, didn't really have the mystery of it all and i'm like well, yeah but you watch the animated series right and and yeah it's it's you know the person i heard talking about that was definitely somebody that was a big fanboy of the animated series so it was never going to be a mystery for you. you you knew all along that it was going to be prince zuko so why are you pissed off that you knew it was zuko all along that's not because of a failing of the live-action series. You've already seen this in the animated series, so don't fucking say that they ruined the mystery of it all. Uh, when the mystery, there was no mystery for you if you've already watched this. But I really liked that. I, I liked watching him and Aang, Zuko and Aang, fighting against the other Fire Nation and how well they worked together. And it was just a, a nice physical representation of how these, these two characters that seem polar opposites of one another, one seems like the good guy, one seems like the bad guy. And to see that they're they're not that much different because they work so well together fighting. And then when they have that moment, it's a little more truncated in the animated series. They go into a little more conversation in the live action series. But I think you, I think you needed that. I think you needed a little more time to add the weight to these two characters and how much alike they are and how they, they eventually, you know, this is the spoiler section, but they become friends in later seasons. You have to show that. You have to earn that, that, you know, these, these two characters uh, seem so different, but they're so much alike. And you have to have those moments like that with that interaction where you could see the friendship, that moment where Aang says, in a different time, do you think we could have been friends? And Zuko lashes out in anger because he knows that, yeah, they probably would have been friends in another time. And it angers him that they would have been friends when the Avatar has been his self-appointed nemesis for all these years that he's been searching for him. But I love the Zuko character. I, I think it's probably one of the more interesting characters in the story, whether it be the animated or the live action. And I think Dallas Liu uh, plays him so well. He plays that temperamental teenager and he plays the anger, but he plays those softer moments of reflection and those softer moments in the flashbacks where he's very caring towards his uncle when his uncle's son dies and, and the relationship between him and his uncle and the relationship between him and Lieutenant Z. I, I thought, you know, that there were some really nice moments that uh, Dallas Liu played very well and, and really enjoyed him. Uh, speaking of his uncle Iroh, 
is played by none other than Paul Sun Hyung Lee. And he, if you aren't familiar with him, and maybe he looks a little bit familiar, uh, he plays Carson Teva. Uh, he's been Carson Teva in The Mandalorian. He's been Carson Teva in The Book of Boba Fett and most recently in Ahsoka. And uh, a fine actor. I, I love him in that role. I wish that role could get a little more. I know in Ahsoka, uh, he got a little more to do than than the other two series but i really like him in that role and i was so glad to see him show up in this as uncle iroh this is another one of those characters where vocally i think his performance is a little different from the voice actor that played uncle iroh in the animated series but i actually liked his 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 vocal performance in this was more playful I think, and and I loved those notes of him always talking about food and always talking about jasmine tea, and and it was such a I, I mean the I think the character was written really well, but when Paul Sun Hyung Lee plays this character, I think he does it wonderfully and really enjoyed his relationship with Zuko and his chemistry with Dallas Liu as this uncle and nephew. I think that's one of the one of the things that people uh, were really down on is the chemistry between Aang and Katara. I think there again, that is more two young actors who aren't familiar with each other, not having that chemistry right away. But also I think it's the way it's written. Uh, you know, these two have a relationship that spans through to the end of this. And it is a big overarching relationship that I don't think you want to go too far too soon. I don't think you want to show too many shades of where this is going too early. So I don't know whether that was by design or like I said, just the fact that two young actors who aren't familiar with each other, not necessarily having a perfect chemistry where like with Dallas Liu and Paul Sung Hyung Lee, I think you have a veteran actor like Paul, and I think it's a lot easier to have chemistry with an older veteran actor uh, for a young actor. I, I think you're going to find these tips and tricks to to have that sort of chemistry, and, and you can act off somebody playing towards you and playing towards your strengths. Where you know the the two young actors uh, playing Ang and Katar don't necessarily have that, but I think by the end of the season i think by the end of it you got a little better chemistry out of ang and katara the the actors playing those characters a couple other actors i'm going to talk about uh, real quick because we didn't get a ton of daniel day kim as fire lord ozai but i i love him i really love the fact that he is i mean he didn't of course wasn't in the m night Shyamalan movie but he did voice acting for the very first avatar the last airbender anime series he did a voice uh, of a different character in legend of korra and now he's in avatar the last airbender the live action series uh and i think he does a good job i can't wait to see more of him i know like him and princess azula weren't as heavily featured in the animated series in that first season as they were in this but there again you have to establish who the bad guys are who the ultimate bad guys are early on or there's not enough weight to this series just ang traveling around fighting fire nation guys and learning to water and earth bend and then ultimately fire bend but you have to establish the bad guys 
and the ultimate villain right away to make them have some menace, to make them have some weight. And I thought it was a, a good idea to really introduce those characters right away. So that way they're not just popping up in next season. Like, oh, who are these people? You already know who they are. And I think we're going to see more of their story fleshed out like in the animated series in the second season, if God willing, we get it. But Daniel Day Kim, I really loved him in this. Uh, of course, he was in Lost and another actor that uh, was in Lost. Ken Leung played uh, Commander Zhao. And I, I really enjoyed his performance. His character was kind of one of those interesting characters where like in the beginning, he seemed a little silly, a little cartoonish. But then as his character developed and got more power, he became more menacing. And that kind of was how this character was in the animated series, at least uh, from my memory of it. And I really enjoyed uh, Ken Leung's portrayal of uh, Zhao. I, I really found him a, a menacing boots on the ground bad guy where uh you know fire lord ozai is off you know doing other things in other places this was the the bad guy on the ground physically menacing our heroes and i thought he did a good job with that and another character we're going to talk about elizabeth Yu as a uh, princess azula uh, i thought she did a really good job we got to see a little bit of her uh, again, in the animated series, she comes into the mix more in the second season. But there again, like Fire Lord Ozai, you have to establish her in that first season. So you have that menace uh, hanging over, that, that bit of doom hanging over our heroes, knowing that this strong warrior is, is after them. And I thought Elizabeth Yu did a really good job as Azula. And I can't wait to see more of her. I think, you know, she adds a very good amount of menace. And I think any bad guy has to have, you have to, you have to believably fear what they could do. And they really showed that with these scenes that she's in, in this first season, which I think is going to set up an even more believable bad guy once we get to her and more of her story in the second season. And I mean, there are so many other characters and so many other wonderful actors. And some of those characters from the animated series that we get to see on the screen, I think they're going to play a bigger part in the hopefully two more seasons to come. But I really enjoyed this. Like I said, it got off to a little bit of a slow start. I thought the first episode was okay. It really was an establishing episode. The next few episodes were, were all right. Warriors, Omashu. Omashu was the episode that really combined a lot of extra storylines. You had the storyline with Team Avatar and then the Teo and Sai, I believe those, the father-son. Uh, you had that story. You had the story with Boomy, who is the uh, childhood friend of Aang from 100 years ago. Uh, then you had Jet show up in that. Whereas in the animated series, you had those over a couple different episodes. And, and I think they were in different towns. Uh, and you, you couldn't do everything. You couldn't have them travel here and have this adventure with these people and then travel here and have an adventure with other people when the other people, the jet stuff, uh, really could be condensed 
to what was going on in uh, Omashu. So I, I understand why they did that. They had to condense some of these stories and truncate some of these stories. I think you got the gist of it. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's not the last time we see Jet in the story. So I expect we'll we'll see that character show up in next season. But uh, Into the Dark was okay. I, I like Spirited Away. That was an interesting episode. But I think with those first five episodes... This series was just okay. It wasn't as good as I was hoping it was going to be. It wasn't bad. I didn't think it was bad by any stretch, but I was like, this is an okay show. I'm enjoying it enough. And if it's like this, I'll enjoy it enough that I'll probably watch the next season, but I'm not going to be as excited about it. But then Masks. I think Masks, The North, and Legends, the last three episodes, are where business really picked up. And I have to chalk that up to a little bit of the writing, but but also you're doing a lot of establishing of characters in those first five episodes and establishing of regions and places where they're going. It's not until you get to the masks episode where you start having some emotional attachment. I think by the end of it, there were so many story beats that to me, I felt emotionally affected by the outcome. Even though I'd seen all this stuff play out in the animation. I have to say that's probably why I feel this is such a good adaptation. Because I've already seen this story play out in the animated series. But there are so many of those beats. The moment with Sokka and Princess Yui played by Amber Midthunder. Was you know where she sacrifices herself. Was was touching. Where Aang sacrifices himself. He thinks he's sacrificing himself to defeat the Fire Nation when he merges with the spirit of the ocean. And you have that cool kaiju moment, that cool Godzilla uh, moment with him. That had weight. The, the scene where Katara is fighting the water-bending master, and, and you just, you, you felt when she essentially beat him, or, or at least made him realize that he's wrong, even though he wouldn't admit it. And that moment where he won't come out and say it, but he's asking her to join the fight. That had some emotional weight, where she is pleading to Aang as he is this kind of water elemental, and pleading for him to, to come back, and that they are family had some heart to it. And the way it ended, it just, it had a lot of heart to it. And I felt by the end of it, emotionally attached to some of these characters and emotionally attached to some of these storylines, even though I'd already seen this, even though I already knew what was going to happen and already expected what did happen, I still felt emotionally invested in these characters in these actors portraying these characters and in the story that they told. And to me, that's a mark of good adaptation. I already know what's going to happen, but I was still affected emotionally by the story that they were telling. And to me, that's some pretty damn good stuff right there. And I kind of hit on this in the non-spoiler section, but I want to expand on a little bit. The CG, I thought, was really good in this. It wasn't the best CG I'd ever seen, but it certainly wasn't the worst. And I think for the most part, it was better than average CG. I think at worst, some of the CG was mediocre. There were some moments like where Aang is jumping up on something, or where the June character is... Uh, jumping off of her wolf mount. Uh, it, you know, it looked a little mediocre CG. 
I've seen worse, but I've also seen much, much better. But then there were other things like some of the fight choreography with the CG and the water and the fire and the air bending and, and the earth bending. I, I thought that all the bending CG was really good. I liked the Appa and Momo. I, I thought they looked really good. I mean, Momo in some scenes looked a little cg creature but then there were other scenes where it looked pretty good and i i couldn't complain about the cg i think at its best it was really good at its worst it was mediocre and for anybody sitting there and complaining about how bad the cg is what are you comparing this to I want to hear examples. If you're sitting there and on your podcast or your YouTube video or your article and you're sitting there lambasting the CG in this movie and how horrible it is, let me know. I want you to cite other movies where the CG is better. That's not to say there aren't movies with better CG, but if this is so horrible, what standard do we have to go by for you to say this is horrible CG? Where's the bar set so we can kind of compare and contrast? Because for my money, and maybe it's because you know CG standards today have kind of dipped uh, quite a bit. And we've got a lot of big blockbuster movies and big blockbuster TV series that are, are put out there with substandard CG. And maybe the bar has been lowered a little bit. Maybe expect, Maybe my expectations have been lowered a little bit. But I am probably one of the more critical of really bad CG. But where I'm critical of really bad CG, I have to give credit where credit is due. And I thought the CG in this was pretty good. I've certainly seen better CG in movies and TV series, but those movies and TV series aren't your run-of-the-mill movies and TV series. And I can't honestly say that the CG in this series wasn't at the very least above average. Now, you have every right to disagree with me, and, and that's fine, but I, you have to look at it and, and be honest with yourself. Have I seen a lot worse CG than this? And I guarantee you the answer is going to be yes. So if you've seen worse CG in this, then this isn't the trash heap dumpster fire that you're claiming it is. You may feel it's only slightly better than that, but you have to admit that the CG isn't horrible. I, I think you've got a lot of rage baiters out there. I think you've got a lot of click baiters out there. I think you've got a lot of people that delight in the negative and it gets more clicks and views and downloads and plays if you're sitting there trashing something and and hopes that you're you know doing your very own Spartacus and trying to rally the troops to to be as just as angry and miserable as you are I, I think there are a lot of podcasters and commentators and reviewers and bloggers out there that, that are like that. For me, that's not me. I'm more than willing to call a spade a spade. If something is bad and truly horrible, I don't have a pony in this race. I'm not trying to get uh, you know big uh, stars to come on my show and have to play nice with the studios in, in any way, shape, or form. I don't give a shit about that. I'm doing this because I love talking about movies, horror, fantasy, and science fiction, the genres that I love, whether it be in movies, TV, books, music, what have you. So I'm not afraid to say something sucks when I feel it sucks, but in, on the same token, you have to be willing to say something is not bad or is decent or watchable or enjoyable if it truly is. 
everything can't be bad. Everything can't be a dumpster fire. Everything can't be a turd. Just because you had unrealistic expectations or because you had some sort of preconceived notion that it was going to suck to begin with. But I ultimately liked this series and I hope that we get a second season. Like I said before, we had a, a really good season. It was an interesting story. The story stayed pretty much in line with the animated series. It did truncate some things. It did have to drop some some subplots. It did have to combine some storylines. But for the most part, it took the story beat by beat. I mean, they went to all the same benchmark places. They did all the same benchmark things. There were some big changes, but those big changes in the context of the story didn't change the story. They were just big changes to how the story played out in the live action as opposed to the animated series. And when you're adapting live action from animated, you have to do things different. I mean, there was essentially in that finale two really big battles going on. And just for budgetary purposes, listening to Albert Kim talk about it, how they just budgetarily couldn't do uh, the big battle of the North, if you will, and then that separate big battle going on inside the, the Oasis uh, they just they, they couldn't do that. But they still kept the heart of the story. They still kept the heart of the original series. They still kept the heart of these characters. And to me, it was just a successful adaptation. Like I said, it took a little while to wind up and really find its feet and really start to run. But once it started to run with that masks episode, it didn't slow down. And it really was uh, a fun ride through those last few episodes. Like I said, it took a little while. It took a lot of character development and story development to get us there. And and I know some people have said the first part of the series, uh, the first part of the season is boring. I wouldn't say that. Like I said, it is character development things, but uh, I think where you get the emotion of caring about these characters I don't think you got that until you got about halfway through this season. And I think that is where people... I think they're mistaking not caring about the characters with being bored with the characters. I don't think the things that they were doing were boring. I just didn't care enough about what they were doing. And once I started to care about these characters, that's where I really got emotionally invested in this story and in this adaptation. And I'm really excited to see where they go in the second season. At the end of the episode, they talked about Omashu being uh, the real target and not the North and how they've taken Omashu. So I think we're going to go to the Earth Kingdom's bossing say. I believe that's the capital of the Earth Kingdom. Uh, I think we're going to go there and spend a lot of time there. I think that's where Aang and Katara and Sokka are going to run into Prince Zuko and Uncle Iroh. Uh, I think we're going to finally get to see the Toph character show up, which I'm really excited to see who they're going to get to play that and how that character is going to translate to uh, the live action from the animated. I think we're going to see Fire Lord Ozai and Princess Zula become more eminent threats and more big bad guys in the series once we get into that second season. So I'm really excited about that. 
I think we're going to see a little bit uh, more of the White Lotus group. Uh, I know they had a little bit of an Easter egg with that coin that Uncle Iroh picked up and used. Uh, he, he dropped it so uh, Zuko could find him, but uh, that coin had a White Lotus printed on it. So I think that was kind of an Easter egg of things to come there. I can't remember from the animated series if the Suki character comes back in the second season or not, but I'm expecting we'll probably see her and her relationship with the Osaka character I really I really like that uh, from the original animated series I'm glad to see they they kind of dip their toes in that with this and I'll look forward to seeing where that relationship goes uh, as we head into the future so I'm uh, really excited about a second season for uh, Avatar the last Airbender hopefully it gets greenlit I, I do know that it's probably gonna take a couple years. For this new season to come out, uh, just with you know having, it's, I'm sure it's probably they're working on scripts, but uh, you know between finishing scripts and scheduling production and filming and all the post production that's going to be involved, I have to imagine we're looking at at least two years. And this is a situation where like Stranger Things, uh, that these kids are going to age out of these roles. And I was really worried about that. I was like, oh, well, they're going to have to get on it and get filming. But I wonder if they're going to do something where they do like a time jump. Because I know in the original series, uh, The Last Airbender, Avatar The Last Airbender, it all takes place within the span. All three books take place within the span of a year or so. I almost wonder if they're going to do more of a time jump in between seasons. That way the characters being a couple years older makes more sense. Now I'm sure there's going to be some fans that bitch about it, but then they would bitch about the characters being too old, you know, Aang being six foot tall with a beard and supposed to be 12 years old. That's just, that's not going to work. So it would make sense if they do a bit of a time jump, but ultimately we'll have to see. And, and hopefully that they, they keep up with the quality. I know having the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender, a part of this in the initial stages was really exciting and I felt like, oh, they're going to be very true to the source material because it is their source material. Then when they backed off and, and left the series, I was a little concerned. But I know that Albert Kim, who is kind of the showrunner for this, uh, I, I know he's a big fan of this series because his daughter... I believe it was his daughter, he said, uh, is a fan of the series. So I'm hoping that he shows the same reverence to this that the creators would have. And speaking of the creators, I know that the creators, um, Michael DiMartino and Brian Konietzko, I know that they're doing a animated Avatar The Last Airbender movie for, I believe it's for Netflix. And it's going to take place like, Aang and Team Avatar are going to be in like their early 20s, a more adult versions of the characters. I don't know if the story is going to be more adult, but it'll be interesting to see like Adventures of Aang because the only thing we got after Avatar The Last Airbender was the Legend of Korra stuff, which is essentially Korra being the next Avatar from the Water Tribe after Aang dies. And I never watched that series, so I don't know much about that. But I do want to go back and watch it now that 
it's a possibility they could do a live action version of that after the Avatar The Last Airbender live action is over. Who knows? But it'll be interesting to see that. And I know that there's talk that they want to do a Zuko series and some other series trying to trying to make this whole Avatar uh, its own Avatar verse, essentially, with, with multiple movies and series based around these characters, which I'm kind of excited to see what the future holds for that. Because there is a strong fan base for this. Uh, it, it can be a little toxic, I'm finding. Much like any fan base can, can have some toxic components. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think you have a fan base that really loves this series. And maybe they hold it in a little too much reverence for the kid show that it was back in 2005. But ultimately, you have a group of people that really love the story and really love the characters. And I do. You know, I was 30 years old when I started watching this cartoon with my two young nephews. And I fell in love with these characters. And I fell in love with this story. And while I don't look at it as the be-all, end-all of fantasy animation, like some, I, I do really enjoy it. And... I was really looking forward to a live action adaptation that was very faithful to the original. Not necessarily a shot for shot remake. I didn't want that. Nobody wanted that. But in the context of doing this in a shorter season live action, I knew some changes had to be made. And I'm okay with the changes that they made because they went through so many of the benchmark moments for these characters and this story that it still felt like a very accurate adaptation. And for kids out there today, who this may be the first time they're seeing Avatar The Last Airbender, they don't even realize that there's a cartoon that it's based on. This is their their Avatar The Last Airbender. I feel they're getting a good representation, and hopefully this encourages them to go back. Even adults, not just kids, but even adults that haven't seen the original animated series. Hopefully this encourages them to go back and watch the original and and enjoy both for being two versions of the same story. Because there is some really good storytelling. You know, I, I love the real life component to this. And I think this is one of the things I, I talked about the Lord of the Rings comparison where you have three books, three individual stories that are part of one big overarching story. And, and you have that with the Avatar The Last Airbender, three seasons, book one, book two, and book three. I think there's other comparisons to Tolkien from a storytelling standpoint, because I love the fact that they base so much of these nations that we're seeing on actual cultures that we know. I mean, and that's what Tolkien did. He wrote Lord of the Rings as kind of a mythology for the British Isles, uh, Great Britain, Ireland, Scotland, even some of the Scandinavian countries, kind of a mythology based on those cultures. And you have that very similar thing going on here where you have the the air nomads being kind of like the Shaolin monks and diving into Buddhism and Hinduism. You have the Earth Kingdom, which is kind of based on like the Ming Dynasty of China and, and some of the other dynasties of China. You have the Fire Nation very much steeped in imperial militaristic Japanese culture from the imperial era and, and, and some of the, the Chinese uh, imperial dynasties, the water 
tribes based on some of the Arctic peoples, uh, like the Inuits and, and tribes like that. I really love this story because it, it takes those things that are familiar and puts them in a fantasy world that is not like our world. I love the combination of animals like winged lemurs and badger moles and, and stuff like that is very cool. We didn't get to see enough of that. I thought there was a lot of references to a lot of these creatures, uh, tiger whales and stuff like that, but we didn't get to see enough of those. I hope in the second season, I know that's that CG dollars that they've got to, you know, a very CG heavy show. You've got to be very selective as to what you're showing on the screen. But I'm hoping we'll get to see some more of that when we get into the second season. But the world building of this is so interesting. And maybe, you know, it's not on the level of Tolkien. But it is very Tolkien adjacent. And I think that's one of the things I love about this. And the themes of this story were... Like we talked about earlier about expectations versus reality, you have themes of war. This is very much about the price of war and the price of what war does to people and countries and ideas. Uh, it, it talks about genocide, imperialism, colonialism totalitarianism but there's also a lot about fate and destiny and free will that it's just there there's so much that you can get out of this philosophically for a children's series what started out as a children's series i i think it just meshes so many wonderful elements the fun loving whimsy of a a, a children's story with the grounded realism of a world not too dissimilar from from our world, at least, you know, like I said, how Tolkien created a mythology for the, the British Isles and kind of a Scandinavian uh, mythology. This is really a mythology for some of the, the Eastern countries, Japan, China, a very Asian mythology, something we can, we can grasp a hold of and get our minds around from a cultural standpoint, but in a world that is all its own. And tackling these deep issues, these deep philosophical issues and these deep geopolitical issues. And it, it just is a wonderful storytelling. And I think they do a really good job. I think they did a good job in the animated series. I think they're doing a good job in this. Creating a story full of that childlike whimsy, but very much grounded in real world problems that, that we face with countries seemingly at war on the verge of war every day now and this story very much about the consequences of that and the consequences of the sins of the father passed down and, and that sort of thing but ultimately i really enjoyed this series and i look forward to a second series hopefully you did as well if you didn't that's fine if you hated this and thought it was a piece of garbage that's fine. You're you're allowed your opinion just as I'm allowed mine. I, I disagree with you on that and will respectfully disagree, but I'm not a big fan of the constant negativity. It's not that you can't say something sucks, but when you're so overdramatic about it and calling this turd and this is the worst this and the worst that, I'm like, seriously, the worst? This is the worst you've ever seen? Come on. Sometimes I think some people need to get a grip. Sometimes I need to get a grip. That's not a an indictment on anybody that I wouldn't put upon myself. But I think sit back and, you know, have some jasmine tea 
and really think about it. And I think you'll realize that this has a lot more redeeming qualities than it did uh, bad qualities. So hopefully you enjoyed this as much as I did. Hopefully you're looking forward to a second season of Avatar The Last Airbender as much as I am. Uh, I know I'm excited to hear whenever they greenlight a second season, and hopefully they do, uh, because I think there's a lot of good story telling to be told, even if we do know what happens because we watch the animated series. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Avatar The Last Airbender Season 1. You can check out more about what's going on with the podcast, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Instagram and Facebook, where we're always posting about horror, fantasy, and science fiction, as well as all of our latest episode info. And please, no matter what you do, please like, follow, subscribe to this podcast wherever you happen to be listening to it. Please leave a review, five stars would be awesome. But most important, share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>